from the trailer park, one's from the farm. Rings on their fingers, no babies on their arms. Taking life with a grain of salt and lime. Living, loving, laughing. We're having a good time. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. My name is Dusty Slay. I'm your host, and I'm back. After a bit of a hiatus, I am back. I've been on the road. On the road. Okay, that was not the button that I wanted to hit, but it did say on the road right when I needed it to, so I would say very well-timed. But I'm back here at my home for a short minute, but I've had a few days to be able to just rest and chill and be able to unpack some equipment that I've ordered. I ordered myself a new microphone. I got some lights now, and I got, I'm got i very close to being able to do a video podcast. I don't know if you watched my video on Dusty Slay's top five country songs about being country. That's available on YouTube right now. I don't know if you watched that or not, but that was done on my um, camera that I can use through my system, which I record this podcast on. And that was my best audio to date. Uh, I thought it was excellent video as well. Uh, it had to get cut down a little bit because Hank Williams Jr., his team kept copywriting my video and trying to block it. So I had to use way less of that song, which is unfortunate because it's a good song. I'm not mad at him. Uh, I get it, but uh, I don't think Hank Williams Jr. was sitting at home being like, I don't think so, buddy. Uh, so it's all good, but um, I thought it was a good video. I would go watch it. Also, in regards to my video about Devil's Lake, I accidentally deleted the video. It was doing very well, and I accidentally deleted it. And I don't want to load it back up right now because it was doing very well. And I feel like if I load it up now, nobody will watch it because they're like, oh, we've already seen it. So my plan is to try to release it again in a month or so and hope that everyone forgot about it and then go, wow, this is a great video. Uh, that's my plan. But people say, well, when you're when you're recording videos – when you're recording videos on, on YouTube and deleting them, you have to go through quite a process to delete them. How do you accidentally delete a video? Well, I'll tell you. I um, Hank Williams Jr.'s team was copywriting my, my video, and so it would be blocked. So I would have to delete it. So one time I deleted that video, and then as I'm looking, it appeared as though that video had not been deleted. So I was like, come on now. When I say delete, Let's delete. Let's don't play around with it. But apparently it had been deleted, but all the information still remained. So when I deleted it a second time, what I did was delete the Devil's Lake video. But I've got it loaded back up now. It's just on unlisted, and um, I will get that back out there. I know that people, no one's, no one's on listening to this podcast right now going, what happened to that Devil's Lake video? I know that's not happening, but maybe. Who knows? That was a weird deja vu moment. I feel like I have done that before, um, but who knows? Uh, I haven't recorded a podcast in a few weeks, but lots of exciting things are happening. Um, you know, I, there is some potential that uh, this podcast is uh, going to get Potentially rebranded and boosted and uh, get a little push behind it. I can't say too much, but I have taken some meetings, and uh, there there could be some exciting things on the horizon for the podcast. Um, I apologize for just saying things and being very vague about it, but uh, I just want people to know that do listen that uh, I'm always working to improve this. Sometimes I don't know what I'm supposed to be talking about. I mean, I... You know, I go in a very hardcore comedy direction where I only talk comedy and then I'll have like, like, for instance, my neighbor wanted to listen to my podcast and then she was like, oh, that seems like that's just a podcast for comedians. And I'm like, well, I don't want it to be just for comedians, um, but I, you know, I do want to try to put out comedy information, but I also try to uh, make comedy information in a way that could also be some helpful information for you know, somebody somewhere else in their life. Because, you know, uh, as a former pesticide salesman, a, a lot of the things that I learned uh, 
in that world, I've applied in comedy, you know, the kind of the work ethic, the, the, I don't know, different things. I mean, before I would be emailing a store manager trying to get a display built and you know what though? All right, I'll finish that statement. And then I got to say something trying to get, you know, I would send a manager an email trying to get a display built on an aisle, um, of, you know, wasp and hornet killer. But this is what I'll say. If I, if like, let's say comedy ended and I was like, I want to go back into the pesticide sales business. I think I would be the best at that job. When I used to do that job, I was so drunk and hungover all the time. And I also, it wasn't just that because I feel like if I, what I lacked about the job was passion for it. See, I was already doing comedy and I was doing this job for one year, the pesticide sales job. You know, I had done it for four years as a part-time uh, employee. And then when my boss retired, I got his job. So I moved up, you know, from the, you know, seasonal assistant to the area manager. I became, I was the guy, I think it was a um, marketing coordinator, I think is what I was called. And I had 10 stores in Charleston, South Carolina. I had six Lowe's and four Home Depots, I think, or maybe it was seven Lowe's and three Home Depots. That's what it was. And then I picked up an extra. So I had 11 stores and it was great. I did pesticides. I did fertilizer. I, I built beautiful displays of fertilizer that got featured in, because this was a nationwide company and they would send a, uh, you know, a monthly report and it would be, you know, uh, pictures because this was, you know, this was 2008. I, I guess we had, who knows what kind of technology we had in 2008? What, what, what is 2020 now? Who knows what was going on 12 years ago? But they would send us printed, you know, color paper, you know, like a, I, I don't know what you call it, a bunch of paper stapled together, what a packet. And in that packet, you know, they would tell us some information, but they would also feature some pictures from the field, as they call it. And uh, my picture of fertilizer displays got you know, made it in there. And I remember one from my store in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, I had a quite the uh, weed and feed fertilizer display featured in this packet. And um, because I was motivated, I was into it. And then somewhere around then, the company laid off half the employees, they laid off half the people. And I didn't get laid off, but I picked up two new ter territories. I, I had Charleston, I picked up Savannah, and I picked up Myrtle Beach. Sounds amazing, right? It's like, oh, you get to go to Savannah and Myrtle Beach? Yeah, but I get to go to a Lowe's and a Home Depot store. And even when I stayed overnight, the company, I don't know if it was the company. I don't want to blame them. I'll blame my boss. My boss would not let me get a room that cost over $100, right? So I don't know if you've tried to get a room in Savannah or Myrtle Beach in the summertime for, um, and, th and the summertime was the only time I needed it because that's when you sell the most pesticides and fertilizer. So I don't know if you've tried to get a hotel in Savannah, Georgia, or Myrtle Beach, South Carolina in the summertime for under a hundred bucks, but it's hard to find. And the places that you do find are pretty shady. So, you know, I'm, I'm selling bed bug killer, hoping that I don't get bed bugs, you know? I mean, although that might be a good sales pitch, say, hey, if you don't use this, you'll look like me. But I never got bed bugs, thankfully. But in Myrtle Beach, we did sell a lot of bed bug killer. That was a major seller for us. In Charleston, we sold a lot of fire ant killer. Myrtle Beach, we sold a lot of bed bug killer. Now, I don't know that they had a lot of bed bugs, but I just know we sold a lot of it. And, uh, you know, so, so that was happening in 2008. And then everybody got laid off. And then I picked up those areas. And then when I picked up those areas, I went from having, you know, 10, 11 stores to 31 stores. And then I had all this drive time in me. And so, and then I picked up a new boss and my boss was not nice to me. Uh, my old boss, I loved, he was great. We used to, we used to work together and then he got promoted and then it was like, it was great. He was a wonderful dude. I enjoyed him coming around. And he would make fun of me about how much I drank, but he didn't really harass me. And then new boss, I get a new boss and he is a douche. You know what I mean? I mean, this guy was not nice. 
He was not a good boss. Now, I'm not mad at him anymore. I think he still works for the company. And, uh, you know, I, I was mad at him for a long time. But I, I'm not mad at him anymore. And uh, I hope that everything is going great for him. But I will say he was a douche to me. Because um, he, he was pretty lazy. And so he would only come to town. He lived in Atlanta. He would come to Charleston. That's about four and a half hours away. Four and a half, five hours away. And... He would only come once in a while, and he would pop up. He was a little overweight, and he would pop up, and he would he would come work with me the first day, and then we would go get food, and then he would go to his hotel. And then the next morning, he'd be like, all right, meet me at this store at 8. So I'd, I'd be there at 8, and I'd be working. I'd even get there a little early because I wanted, you know, I wanted to make sure the store looked really good before he showed up, and um, so – he would call me around like 8.30, and he'd be like, oh, man, I got a conference call. I'll see you at 9.30. So he's supposed to be there at 8. He would say, oh, I can't, I can't be there till like 9.30. And then so 9.30 rolls around. He's not there. He shows up at 10. He'll help me for about 15 minutes, and then he goes, let's go get some lunch, man. Let's get out of here. This store looks good. It's like, yeah, it looks good because I've been here for three hours already. We'd be like, let's just go get some lunch, man. And then we'd go get lunch, and he'd go, I'm going I'm to have to go ahead and get out of here and go back to Atlanta. So <laughs> so the guy was the worst. And then he would treat me like I was lazy. And I'm like, I'm hungover every day, and I'm doing better than you. And uh, and then we would always have these sales plans, right? This is going somewhere. But we would have these sales plans where you know, you'd have to – now I may be a little off on the numbers and I you know I don't know that I totally understand a sales plan but to the best of my ability this is what I'm going to say. You know, you would want to hit 100% of your sales plan, right? But every year they would increase the sales plan by like 5%. So every year I would hit like 98%, right? And 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 to the my company, they always saw that as I was 2% down from hitting my plan. But I see that as, okay, you're going to increase it by 5% every year and I'm 2% under every year. To me, that says I'm increasing my sales plan by 3% every year, which seems pretty great. Now, other guys on my in my district, because I could see all their you know percentages too, and some years they would be at like 80%. And then it would be nothing but sympathy. Oh, they'd be like, oh, you know, there's a drought in Atlanta. There's a drought. They're not selling anything because the grass isn't growing, right? And then the next year, they're at like 120% or 110%, and everybody's all over them like they're king of the company. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's pretty easy when your sales plan is is based on your last year's numbers, you get it 80% and then the next year you're up. It's like, of course, I hope so. I hope so. Or you should lose your job, right? Um, so I, I started to quickly lose motivation for that job because I was like, you guys are not doing me right. You don't, I don't have a good boss and then you're not doing me right. And then there was a girl that started working for the competition, uh, which I became involved with. Uh, in a romantic relationship, if if <laughs> if you could call it romantic, and uh, we started drinking a pretty good bit on the clock, and uh, we were having a great time, and I should have been fired that year, but uh, I held on, and then I got I got back got it back together, and uh, but I was still this is what this is what I found though. I found that when I would go into a store and work really hard and build a bunch of displays, then I would get my weekly report and I would be down in sales. And then another week I would do nothing and then I would be up in sales. And I'm like, well, why, why would I even do anything? I don't even know what's happening. All that to say that I started doing comedy around that time, around the time that I started becoming romantically involved with a competitor, uh, female uh, competitor. And... Um, uh, me and her had a great time, and she threw away my boxes for me uh, because I had to leave to go to an audition at Theater 99 where I got back into the company and became an improviser, which is how I you know, started my stand-up career again And because uh, I had done some comedy earlier in the 2000s and, and quit for a few years. So this was me get back, getting back in. So 
I had this newfound passion for comedy. I had decided prior to coming back into comedy, I had decided that my job was going to be the pesticide job. That's what I was going to do uh, was sell pesticides. And it was a pretty good job, you know, a salary, health insurance, um, you know, a car allowance. So I was doing all this as a pretty heavy drinker and uh, rapidly growing in size, meaning I was getting I was getting heavy. And uh, I found a video from 2011, which is at the end of 2011, because I quit drinking early 2012, lost a bunch of weight really fast. So I found a video from late 2011, and wow, did I look terrible. I look 10 years older in 2011 than I look right now. Um, so I was, I was budding on my comedy career. At the same time, my pesticide sales career was, you know, essentially beginning to take off. But then I got this new boss and then comedy was going well. So my focus was on comedy. I wanted to do comedy. Now, I didn't even think about doing comedy professionally at that time, but that's where my passion was, was in doing comedy. That's what I wanted to be doing, not selling pesticides. I would go from, you know, being on stage in a bar and making everybody laugh and making a bunch of friends and people coming up to me going, hey, you were really funny. That was so great. You were really funny to being in a Lowe's the next day, being disrespected by my competition, by the managers, by my own boss, and probably by regular store employees in the Lowe's. So I had this real thing going whereas it's like my my the way I paid my bills felt like torment and the thing that did nothing for me financially I was having a blast at so I had this whole thing going and if I were to go back into the pesticide world now with the passion for comedy dead and sober I would crush that job I mean because the things that I've learned from comedy on sending emails to bookers, oh man, that's what I would do to store managers all the time. I mean, I would be king of Lowe's and Home Depot. Now, I say that, but chances are I'd get back in there and, and, and find that not to be true. But now, I really think that you can apply the things that you've learned from anything to the next thing. I mean, I think that, I mean, comedy... Is, is you're running a business, but your business is you. So that's why it's like I had to try to learn to sell these pesticides, something that I wasn't passionate about, to to my own comedy, which now I am passionate about. And when, you know, I mean, me putting in the work that I put in, that's why I think things are like going incredibly well right now because I've been, I really put in this work for a long time and I'm still putting in work all the time. But now I have a, a manager and a management team that is like as passionate, if not more, about it. And then I have an agency out there and an agent that's just getting me tons of gigs. Uh, I have lots of exciting gigs coming up. So it's like when, when but, but I think that a lot of these things were able to work for me so well because I had been putting in the work already. I, and, and I only say that because I think a lot of people out there doing comedy or doing jobs or whatever it is that they're doing, they're just hoping that somebody is going to come along and, and you know, show them the way or help them or, or do it for them. And it might not be the case. I mean, you got to do what you can do because I was fully prepared to just continue to do comedy the way that I was doing it and make a living that way. I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, I enjoy being able to see the places that I've seen doing comedy uh, that I probably wouldn't have been able to see otherwise. And um, so this was a bit of an opening rant here that I had that I don't know if it made any sense. It's pretty hard for me to sit here alone and talk into a microphone and make a lot of sense. So I appreciate you listening. And I hope that it has been helpful to you in any kind of way or at the very least entertaining. But uh, there, are, there are some exciting things happening with the podcast. Uh, to be, uh, just so you know, I've, this is the third time I've recorded the podcast today. The first two times I ended it because I was like, what the F are you talking about, dude? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was so lost. I had no idea what I was talking about. And uh, so I don't know if I've said this already, but there are some exciting things happening for the podcast. They're uh, 
could potentially be some changes on the way. And I think that I, I'd like to get a co-host of sorts. Uh, I've talked about having a producer and I had some people that had some interest and I just don't know where everything is at right now with it. Um, so, you know, if you, if you're a regular listener, uh, you know, just stay tuned. Uh, there could be some exciting stuff where, where I could need some help. Uh, but I don't know. There are some good things on the horizon, but let's do this. Let's do where we've been, where we're going, where they going, where they been, where they going, where, where they been, where we're going, where we've been. All right. So where we've been, where we're going. I'm going to go ahead and say where I'm going this weekend. I'm going to Royal Oak, Michigan, which is right outside of Detroit to Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. I've never been. I've only heard great things. I hear it's very difficult to get in, which is why I haven't been in thus far. I have an agent now and they get me into places that I uh, uh, wouldn't have been able to get into before. So um I'm in, and it uh, feels good. I'm very pumped about it. I leave tomorrow to go there, and um, I can't wait. I've been to Michigan many times. Never done comedy in the Detroit area, so I look forward to it. Uh, I've met a couple of Detroit comics along the way. Their names are not coming to me at the moment. Uh, so, Oh, Frank Roach is a guy I worked with years ago at, at the Hard Rock Sino outside of Cleveland, Ohio. He's from Detroit. Um Oh, man, there's another guy, but I don't want to spend a lot of time trying to think of the name. Hopefully, it'll come to me. I worked with him in Toledo, Ohio one time. He was the host years ago, and I still follow him on Instagram. I, you know, it's one of those things where you, you work with somebody one weekend, and you think, oh, this guy's cool. I'll see them again, and then you just never do. So, But I followed him on, on Instagram since then. All right, so where I've been. Last night, I did the Grand Old Opry. And uh, it was very exciting. I This is my 11th time doing the Opry, and that's amazing to me because I want to say that it was February of 2019, just one year ago, when I did the Opry for the first time. Now, it could have been January, but I think it was February. So that means in, in one year, roughly, I've done the Opry 11 times, and that's so exciting. I mean, it's it's unreal to me. I mean, last night I came off stage and I'm headed to the back and there's Ricky Skaggs sitting there and Ricky Skaggs uh, says my name, says, hey, Dusty, always great to have you here at the Opry. Very funny stuff. And that's exciting. I mean, I've been listening to Ricky Skaggs forever. Now, Ricky Skaggs is a bit you know, on the bluegrass side. I'm not as into bluegrass as I am country music. Now, I, I know to most people that probably doesn't even make sense. It, seems, it probably seems like the same thing. But bluegrass is a bit faster, a bit more insp- uh, 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 instrumental. And uh, I'm not as into that. I like just slow, sad country songs. That's what I'm into. But Ricky Skaggs has some really great songs that I like. And I've been listening to him for years. And... Uh, you know, it's just amazing to me. I mean, to be, you know, backstage hanging out with people that I was fans of and it's super exciting. And, uh, I did a little stuff for the socials for the, cause they have the circle network, which is a television network that <laughs> I don't know why I say television network, uh, TV station. I don't know. Television network that they're putting out, uh, for, the Opry, it's called The Circle, and I have some stand-up on there now, and they've also been showing my Opry debut on that, and uh, I did some uh, some clips, some funny clips last night for the social media stuff, so that'll be coming out. So follow them. I think it's, um, well, you know, if you don't follow me, go ahead and follow me on Instagram, at Dusty Slay, and let's see. And then uh, The Circle is... Uh, Circle All Access. That's their Twitter handle, and it's growing. Um, but they, you know, it's going to get better and better. They say the best is yet to come, and so you know, get on it. And then let's see. Uh, I'm going to go in order from from uh, from now to the last time I did a podcast. So last weekend, I was in Aspen, Colorado 
which is amazing. I did a comedy festival, the Aspen Comedy Festival. Now, Aspen's a little wealthy for me, a little rich for me, you know, but I feel like if I had a few more days, and I, ha- I was on this, like, three-week run, so by the time I made it to Aspen, I was exhausted. But I, I think that um, had I been there fresh, and had I liked to ski or drink or do any of those things, I would have had, you know, more fun. But for me, it's like uh, I just kind of hang out. I don't even know what to do. And when it's really snowy, I can't just kind of go walk around outside. So I'm not exactly sure what to do. But my manager took me and her friend and uh, comedian Taylor Tomlinson out on dog sleds. So the four of us got in these sleds and were pulled around the mountain by dogs. And uh, that was pretty amazing. And that was my manager's idea. She is from Colorado originally and knows a bit about that stuff. So, yeah, really amazing. I got video for it. I will ha- I will put that video out on YouTube uh, soon. And um, let's see. Before that, I went to Scottsdale, Arizona, where I did a corporate gig for a paving company. And uh, it was on the rooftop of a, of a hotel – Like on the roof, which outdoor comedy is a comedian's nightmare, at least my nightmare. I was down in my room. They put me in a very nice hotel in a very nice room. I had a bath, had a little eucalyptus in there, some lavender. I was breathing well. I was feeling good. And I get dressed and I go, I'm going to head on up to the party and get ready to do the show. And And I get off on the elevator and I'm like, oh, no, this is a roof. I saw where the stage was at, and I just got back in the elevator, and I went back down to my hotel. I was like, I am waiting till the very last minute to go up there because I thought, all right, there'll be a green room. I'm going up, chill in the green room, get ready for the show. There's no green room, no no place to hide. I'm just out there on the roof, and I said, all right, I'm about. And I, you know, I was talking to the people running the show. I was making all kind of excuses. I was like, all right, this is, you know, outdoor comedy's hard. This is not my thing. And I was, you know, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm excited for it, but I just, I was just trying to prepare people for the worst possible scenario. And then, um, and then the show starts. And the first couple of jokes are like, nah, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long... They told me to do 45. I was like, this is going to be a long 45 minutes. And then I just started getting into it, and the audience started getting into it, and it just got fun. And then all of a sudden, I hit 45 minutes, and I said to them, I said, what do you want me to do? You want me to quit now or keep going? And everybody was like, keep going, more jokes. It was amazing. We had a great time. And then after they had their own little award ceremony uh, where it was pretty fun where they give people awards like the best job, the worst job, this and that. And uh, I stood up there and made a few jokes. But then I was like, okay, this is going to be hours long here. So I got out of there. They gave me a little money. I went down. You know, they paid me well, but then they gave me a little additional money for food. So I went down into the bar. I had a steak and uh, got up and flew out. And then before that, I was in Pasadena, California. I was uh, did the Ice House. I had my friend Evan Burke feature for me, and I had uh, my friend Laura Peak host for me. And they were uh, I was very happy to have them on my show. I like them, and um, really great Saturday show. That was the first one. No, that was you know um, the one that the three of us all did together. We did one show on Saturday. It was sold out. And it was awesome. The Ice House, incredible club. It's really amazing. And then on Friday, which was Valentine's Day, only me and Evan took part of the shows. It was a showcase. And those shows were amazing. They were also sold out. And that Ice House, man, there is something that happens in there to where it's like you, you almost can do no wrong up there. And I just think that I've done it before, and I just don't think they see a lot of comics like me. I don't mean Southern. I'm sure there's plenty of Southern people out in L.A., but I just mean comics like me, and they don't know what to do, and it's very fun. I love it. And then the rest of that week, the week leading up to the Ice House in Pasadena, I was in L.A. I arrived in L.A. on Monday, Tuesday arrested. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I went around to a bunch of networks, uh, trying to sell uh, a cartoon that I have created with some other people. And uh, man, was it a good time. 
I mean, I went into, you know, big networks and I'm meeting with, you know, the creative teams and I'm just telling them about, I mean, me and the, you know, the guy that have written this cartoon and then the company that has drawn the cartoon and then my management team, we're all in there together. And, 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 you know, the, me and the guy that have written the cartoon have now, you know, we've written this pitch. So we go in and, you know, he has a part he'll read. I have a part I'll read. And, and then I just break and tell stories. And it's just a blast. I mean, as the week went on, we did nine pitches, which I hear is uh, pretty insane. I mean, I was wore out. That's for sure. And which is why I haven't been doing a podcast is because I've been spending all day talking to people and then at night talking to people more. And I just am exhausted. I just want to lay around. And then I'm also away from my wife. So, you know, our only means of communication is to talk on the phone. So my whole life has been talking. So when I got a little free time, I wanted to just not talk. And, um, but it's just been, you know, I'm just in these rooms and I'm pitching these things. And as the, as the week goes on, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering more stories and more things are coming to me. So the pitches get more and more exciting as I go along and I really get into it. And the, and the people, it's like doing stand up, but for like three people and everyone's laughing and it's a good time. It's just like, we're in this room with a bunch of friends telling stories and I have a blast. I mean, I love it. I mean, I don't know that I'm supposed to have that much fun doing pitches, but I could do pitches all, all the time. And, uh, you know, I hope someone buys it. Um, <laughs> but regardless, I've had a great time uh, pitching the cartoon. I mean, and I don't know who wouldn't buy it. I mean, this thing, not only is the guy that, that's on board to write with me hilarious. I mean, it's all my stories. It's my stories and this guy, who's a really great, funny writer, uh, is uh, is writing these things. I mean, it, it'll it'll be an amazing show, and I don't know who wouldn't buy it. I think it would be uh, silly to pass up. But you know, what do I know about TV? I, I'm just I just know about hilarious content out here all the time. I'm just putting out hilarious jokes about getting my oil changed. I got this part of a joke right now where I say, you know, my car changes its own oil. I say, I don't have to go down to the Jiffy Lube and get upsold on an air filter. And no one is laughing at that joke right now. That air filter joke is not a hit. Me and Evan talked a little bit about maybe saying something like, yeah, the tail light's out. It's been out for a while. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah, I'll get it fixed. Uh, you know, I'll get it fixed before the other one goes out because it's blinking, which is good because my blinker's out. And, um, but I don't know. I don't know where that's going, but I, I'm enjoying telling that joke. But people don't laugh at that. I don't have to go down to the Jeffy Lube and get upsold on an air filter, um, which I just think is fun. I don't know. I'm sure there are many comics out there with air filter jokes. But every time when I used to get my oil changed, I I mean, and I used to get an oil change all the time because I was doing nothing but driving. Now I'm doing nothing but flying. But back when I was doing nothing but driving, I mean, I was down there getting an oil change all the time. And people come out and they go, hey, man, let me let me talk to you for a minute. And then one guy was a very muscular dude, and he would always take me in the back room, and he'd go, I just want to show you a couple of things. He'd get real serious. He'd go, right here, you see this? This is a, this is hose right here. It, you know, he'd just go into a thing, and it's like, you know, it's like the hose only costs you $3, but it'll cost me $455 to get in there and change it out, you know, and it's like, geez, dude, like, and I I just don't, I don't like it, and and, and they would always go, I just want to show you this air filter here, and it'll have, like, grass, and it's like, what'd you do, did you throw grass on that in the back, how'd grass get up in there, I look at that air filter all the time, I see no dang grass in there, I stopped getting my air filter changed. I just think it's a racket. I had a car with 317,000 miles, and I would get my air filter in there changed like, I don't know, every six months, and I was getting an oil change at least once a month. I was like, I'm not changing this every time. I don't even know what's happening in there. I don't know why it needs to be so clean. But um, that car had 317,000, and it was still running well. To be honest with you, if I had known that my 
life was about to change in the way that it has, meaning that instead of driving everywhere, I was going to be flying everywhere. I don't think I would have got a new car. I would have got Hannah a new car because we needed, she hit a deer and my car was, uh, had 317,000 miles. So we, we, we traded them in we, and, and, and got two cars because I also hate going down to the car lot. I hate it. So I was like, you know what, if I can get this taken care of right now, that'd be good. That'd be good. But if I had known I'd be coming off the road in the way that I that I have, I wouldn't have got the new car. I would have kept that other car. I love that car. It was a 2005 Volvo S60, had a turbo in it, so I could really zoom past people on the interstate. And I liked it because it was a bit raggedy. So in the wintertime, I would sit in there with the heat on, and I'd smoke cigars uh, at a hotel, and it was the best. And I, I'm, I hate that it's gone. Um and then before LA, before the pitches, where the last time I left off on the podcast, I was in Las Vegas doing Jimmy Kimmel's Comedy Club uh, with my friend Evan Burke. Evan drove from LA out to Vegas, and and we had uh, host uh, Jocelyn Sharp. She was very funny. We had six incredible shows: one Thursday, two Friday, two Saturday, one Sunday. All incredible. None better than the other. All great. I'm not even exaggerating. We we almost we didn't sell out any show, but we almost sold out every show, if you know what I mean. They were all packed. People from all over the country at these shows in Vegas. I had people that had seen me in Tampa. I had a friend um, that had seen me. Uh, I had a friend from Charlotte there, a friend from Michigan there. I don't know if I've said these things. As I've said before, I've recorded this podcast three times now. So they all came out. And the first night I was there, Thursday night, we, we you know, we – did the show. It was great. We were excited. We left. We went to Caesar's Palace, had a cigar. We were hanging out in a private room. We don't know how we even got this private room. We just walked in and we go, can we have this room? And they were like, sure. We had a server come in. We're in there blazing cigars and chatting it up. We have friends from Charleston there. And it was just exciting. And then the week continued on like that. We didn't have any more cigars because it was probably the worst thing I could have done because when you're walking around Vegas, everything in Vegas is yelling because it's so loud. You have to yell at everyone. And then all the casinos you could smoke in. So you're constantly breathing in smoke. And then it's sensory overload. But it's also a blast. If I had been drinking, oh, man, I would be I would have never got out of there. Um, but, I, you know, one night I'm walking and I, I'm walking and, and all of a sudden I, to the right of me, somebody's upper torso and head just fall right beside me this giant dude i don't know if he was running or what but he just falls down right beside me i mean six inches to the left he would have took me out um i just kept walking i was like i don't know what's happening out here but i am not trying to get involved (laughs) i mean evan checked on him he was okay but i was like i am not trying to get involved with this and then uh, we went to, uh, and then we zip lined one night. We made some friends in the zip line line because it took like forty five minutes to zip line. And and once we got on there and actually got strapped in, it took about ten seconds. Um, but it was pretty fun. We got some free tickets to zip line, but something was going on. They were like, "It's too windy." One girl, one lady working there was like, "I don't even know why they're working this today. It's pretty windy." So we're like, oh, okay, so you're you're questioning the safety as I'm about to get strapped in and zip line across. And then they go, it, it it what was taking so long is they had to bring over all the equipment that would get sent. Like when you zip line, you're using all this equipment, and then they have to send that equipment back. And normally what they do is they send it back on a line. They said it was too windy for that, so they had to bring the equipment down by hand. So it's like, okay, so it's too windy for your equipment, but for me – is fine. You don't mind if I zip on down there, but your equipment, well, it's too windy for that. So we made some friends in there. We invited them to the show. They came out. We all hung out. I had some other friends that are that that I, I only previously knew via the internet. Uh, they came out to um, to the show, and uh, and uh, uh, let's see, let's see, uh, Jamie Newberry, yeah, Jamie Newberry, and. Uh, her husband slash boyfriend, not sure, Ken, uh, they came out and I uh, previously only known them, you know, like on social media and whatnot. And they came and hung and I, it just was a blast. I mean, um, 
Vegas was so much fun. I, I, I was told that Vegas audiences would be bad. Everybody talked about that. They said, oh, the comedy clubs in Vegas, you're going to hate it. And I don't know. Maybe Jimmy Kimmel just has a great comedy club. I mean, he does, in fact, have a great comedy club. I know that. But maybe it's you know substantially better than the others in the area because what a good time. I mean, I mean, these shows were packed and, and they were, that was, that was my crowd out there. And so that's what I've been up to. I mean, that's what's been going down out here. I mean, I have been all over the place, 90 to nothing. Um, I've been, you know, on planes. I mean, this is what I did. I'll, I'll give you just a rundown of the schedule because I know you're dying to hear that. The 6th, I, the 6th of February, I flew out to Las Vegas on the 9th, or on the 10th, me and Evan drove from Las Vegas to L.A. I had the day off in L.A. On, on, on Tuesday, but I was exhausted. And then I had the 12th, the 13th, and the 14th pitching shows. I was pitching nonstop. Then the night of the 14th, I did two shows at the Ice House in Pasadena. On the 15th, I did a full show, a full headlining set at the Ice House in Pasadena. Sunday, I flew home. So I had Sunday night, and, and so that, uh, that was 10 days that I was away from home. And then I had Sunday night and Monday night at home. Tuesday morning, I wake up. I fly to Arizona. I do a show that night. Wednesday, I fly home just so I can spend the night with my wife. I fly home. And then on Thursday, I fly out and go to Aspen. I spend Thursday, Friday, Saturday in Aspen, fly back on Sunday. And now I was, I was home Sunday night, Monday night. Last night I did the Opry, and then here I am today. So it has been a uh, quite the whirlwind. So I'll be in Michigan this weekend, and next weekend I'll be in Sarasota, Florida at uh, McCurdy's. So I've been on the road roughly like 33 weekends in a row. By the time this, this stretch is done, it'll be like 33 weekends in a row that I've done comedy. And uh, I feel great. Honestly, I feel wonderful. And I did a bunch of new stuff at the Opry last night, and uh, it felt good. One day, I'm going to do my full 5 o'clock somewhere breakdown at the Opry. And and then all will be right in the world. And so let's see. Let's talk about some emails. How about that? Let's, let's go into a couple of emails. Um, Uh, let's see. Here's my bomb story. This is coming from someone during this time. I was roughly four to five months in from doing stand up, and I was asked to do a showcase at this bar. I've never heard of. I was pumped because I liked all the comedians on the lineup and I thought it was going to be a dope show. Uh, I get to this bar and right off the bat, I knew it wasn't going to be a dope show. Keep in mind, I'm looking at the bright side of things and trying to laugh at the craziness of it all. The bar still allowed indoor smoking, which blew my mind. And the bar was connected to a Dollar Tree, which was connected to a family dollar. Well, that sounds like a hot show. You got a Dollar Tree, a family dollar, and you can smoke inside. I mean, that, what is this, a trailer park? That sounds like, uh, all right, here we go. So two Total, actually, audience members show up out of the nine comedians on the showcase. Well, who hasn't been there a million times? You have more comedians on the lineup than you have audience members. Uh, So, not a dope show, though. Midway through the show, it was my turn. I was up for about two minutes and lost all motivation to go on and blinked on my jokes so hard that I was like, sorry, everyone, I forgot my jokes, that's my time. I was ashamed, embarrassed, and aggravated. I walked off and sat back in the quote-unquote packed crowd. Here's where the story goes extreme. This incident left a mark on our comedy community to this day. The host, a middle-aged female, introduces the next comedian, a middle-aged male, to the stage. He gets to the stage and then grabs her and starts dry-humping her on stage. Everyone there got super uncomfortable and didn't know how to take what just happened. We didn't know if it was part of it or what. Unfortunately, the show went on and everyone left afterwards. A couple of days later, word got out that this male humped the female host and then began this interesting divide within the comedy community. You know, people taking sides, arguing in open mics, people trying to shut down this guy from doing shows, etc., 
We are still still trying to piece it together today. Not a personal bomb story, but I still wanted to share. Um, yeah, that's great. I mean, you know, I mean, I feel like so many of people's bomb stories that they've sent in are just uh, very typical of, yeah, I had a bad set, you know, and it's like, I feel like when you do enough comedy, uh, just having a bad set, you don't even really think about as a bomb because it's like, yeah, I mean, we're going to, we're going to have some rough sets. I mean, I'll have three or four weekends in a row where things are just going amazing. And I think I can't be stopped. And then I go somewhere and do a weekend and I'm like, okay, they are not, I didn't bomb, but they're not as into it as I hope they would be. And I feel like that's the case, you know, so often with things is like, uh, well, maybe not bombing as much as we're just not doing as well as we would like to have done. And, uh, but I love reading these stories. I think these are great. I mean, I don't know what, what I've read. Um, somebody said, this is just, some of these are just some emails that someone sent, people send me. One says, you should come to Tucson, Arizona. You always skip us and it's not fair. Uh, I'm sure that you're using a bit of sarcasm there and, but I appreciate you wanting me to come. Uh, I would love to come to Tucson, Arizona. The, The problem that I'm facing right now is that, you know, I'm just, I'm coming out of a place where for years I was just emailing clubs, begging them to let me come perform there in any aspect. And then a few things happened and I took some, you know, some successful right turns and I've found myself in this place where lots of clubs want to book me. But I, I'm still not at the level where I'm able to make demands, where I'm able to be like, I want to come here on this week and here on this week and here on this week. So my routing is a mess at times because it's hard to piece things together when, when my main goal right now is to, I just tell my agent, you know, I'm just like, I just want a full calendar. I want to be working a lot. I want to be doing comedy. I want to be making money. And, uh, because, you know, I'm not getting rich out here, but I, you know, for a long time, I haven't really been making that much money. So I'm like, let's make some money for a minute and, um, let's, let's, you know, let's get comfortable. And, um, so, you know, that's been happening. And so it's like, it's, it's, so my calendar is full, right? I got a few open weekends, but those open weekends are by design so I can rest a bit. And, um, but it's like, you know, gigs will come in and then I have to cancel others, you know, or, or, or not, not, not can't, not, not canceling one gig for another gig, but like, you know, you get some kind of TV opportunity and you have to take it because, you know, it's like, I never want to cancel any kind of gig for something like that, but I also want to be able to sell more tickets. So it's my way of thinking. If it's far enough in advance, there's a chance that I haven't even sold tickets at the club yet. Let's move it to another weekend. Hopefully by the time I am there, I'll be able to sell a lot of tickets. Now that's just my thoughts, but I never want to cancel any gig for another gig. And I, and I I won't do it just straight up comedy club for comedy club, but Sometimes things have to be moved around and, you know, I'm new to this, but, you know, I'm getting counsel from, from, you know, management, whatnot. And and I feel very good about the, the direction things are going. And, um, you know, I want, you know, I could, you know, I just want to be building, to be building an audience. So, uh, I do want to come to Tucson. That's the long, but I just can't, I just can't tell, I can't be like, all right, cancel this. Let's go to Tucson. But, I will come there and and it will be great. We will it will be great. Uh oh, okay. Uh here's someone. Here's an email from uh from someone from Rhode Island. They said for my birthday, his girlfriend bought us tickets for one of your upcoming shows in Rhode Island next month, and we can't wait to see you there. I'm happy to offer suggestions if you're looking for location ideas for where you can shoot footage for your channel while you're here. Even better, we'd love to hang out while you're in town. This is very nice. These people uh, watch me, uh, watch my YouTube videos where I travel around the country filming things, and they have uh, reached out and offered that. Well, I appreciate that. I don't know if you listen to the podcast or not. I guess I can say your name, Alex and Robin. Uh, That's not your last name. Someone knows, but... uh, I appreciate this email from you, and I would like to see some fun stuff while I'm in Rhode Island. So uh, I'll email you back. I for, I just am looking through my emails right now, and I forgot all about that one. Um, and also, if you've been listening, the the 
how to become a comic series. It seems like every time I put out a podcast now, one of those disappears. So I don't know what's happening with that, but I will um, try to get that fixed. All right, here's an email. I normally don't ask folks for advice through email. I try to gleam as much as I can through other comedy friends or green room chats with people further along in comedy than me, but I'm currently in a stage where I'm either featuring or headlining smaller one-nighters in the region as well as local shows, and I want to make the jump from MC to featuring clubs both locally and on the road. If you have the time, I was hoping to get your thoughts on some questions I had. Please, uh, I had, please. Some of the questions you've covered on the podcast, but I was hoping for more specifics if possible. Wow, this seems like a lot of questions, and I don't know. I didn't realize that as I started reading it, but let's let's answer some. Let's see what we can do. Uh, you know, I got I got about 10 minutes in order to make this this length of podcast that, that seems to make sense. All right. I'm currently trying to grow my list of bookers to email. Should I only email bookers whose email I got from another comedian? Should I try cold emailing? Should I try both? I think try everything. Get every every email that you can get, even if you don't know if it's a real email. Email them. And then I would just add them to a list that you email every month. And if, if they email you back, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you'll get information as you go along, but, you know, I mean, if you email for a year and they don't answer, I'd maybe take it off the list. But, you know, if you think about emailing somebody once a month for a year, that means you emailed them 12 times. That's not a lot of times. So, sorry about that. That's not a lot of times. So, just email them. Any email you get, email them. Um, all right. Uh, I'm currently emailing the bookers. I already have emails for every four to six weeks and I give availability three to four months out. Uh, should I give more or less availability? Well, I would make sure that you email at least every four weeks, unless the booker specifically said, don't email me this frequently. I would do it once a month. I wouldn't do it more than once a month. You don't want to be irritating in my opinion. And this is all opinion. I don't know what people are really looking for. This is what I've done. But I would email once a month unless they specifically say, hey, don't email me that much. Once a month, I feel like is not irritating. It's enough to be like, hey, I'm on the radar. I want to give you an update on my avails. I want to give you an update on what I'm doing. But I'm not, I'm, I don't want to be overwhelming with it. I would give at least six months of availability. I think that's the way to go. Um, instead of three to four, I'd give six months. Even if you don't have anything, right? A lot of people get self-conscious about that. They're like, well, I don't have any dates. It looks like I have nothing going on. And it's like, well, that's because you don't have anything going on. Get something going on. Get it going on. And give them all the availability you can because you're like, I always like to separate Thursday through Sunday, and I like to send them that. Okay. The current subject line I use when emailing is booking inquiry, then their name. Uh... And my emails always contain a short salutation where I mention I've heard a good thing about the club, city, and I love the opportunity to work with them. A short video, a 30-minute video, headshot, bio, availability in that order. Is that something I should do? Is there something I should do to spice that up or to maybe spark more interest? I don't think so. I think that's great. I mean, that's exactly what I would say for people to do. And... um. You know, I would say keep it short. Whatever it is, I would say do all that, but keep it all short. Very short, very organized. That way the the booker can just look at it in a hurry and go, okay, here's some compliments. I enjoy compliments. Here's the video, the video, um, and here's some information. All great. Subject line, I don't know. I never knew what to do. I would say, you know, Nashville comedy looking to come to so-and-so. You know, I think that's all up to you. But I think, you know, keeping it serious and short is the best way. I mean, I, I always had the temptation to want to be funny. I think you can throw in a little joke towards the end, but I don't think that it should be a jokey email because at this point, this is you being business you. This is not you being comedian you. All right, next question. Should the video I send be in a club setting? 
My current video, my current 30-minute video isn't from a club, but a great show that I did at a cultural center in Iowa. I don't think it's a bad video, and I've been told as such, but I've also been told it might not be the best representation of how these jokes work in a club setting. I agree. I, I think you send what you got. You send your best video, but I think the, the main thing that you want is really good audio. They need to be able to understand what you're saying. If you can do subtitles, great. I've been telling everybody rev.com, R-E-V.com. It's a lit, you send that into Rev, they, they send you back a transcription of the subtitles. And then you use a thing on Mac, you'll use a thing called Handbrake that you'll have to download. It's free. And all the instructions are in there with that. It seems so complicated, but once you get in there and do it, you're, you're like, actually, that's very easy. And I would do that. If I were sending out avails now, I would get subtitles put on there. That way the the booker can just read that and go, oh, okay. Uh, and you just make it easy. It looks professional. But as far as being in a club, the thing that, that – now, again, send whatever video you have. Send the best one that you have. But a club setting, it shows the club that you're trying to get into that, hey, I'm already doing comedy in these clubs. And they also know that it's a legit setting and not uh, something where you brought all your friends to to laugh at your jokes. But again, if the best video you have is this uh, cultural center in Iowa, then use that. But I would work on getting a longer video in a club or at least your short five-minute video. Make it, you know, your short three to five-minute video, make it in a club. And let them know where you're at. You know, I, I think honesty is the best policy. I think that, you know, you don't want to sell yourself short. You don't want to be like, hey, I'm a huge piece of crap out here. And, uh, you know, but uh, and I can't get I can't get any work. But please book me in your club. You don't have to you know, you don't have to say stuff like that. But you can say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm fairly new uh, into trying to get into clubs. I've been doing comedy for so and so years because that's what my case was. I had been doing comedy for five years and I had an album uh, before I really even started working clubs, I had a, a good album. Now I know a lot of people have albums cause it's fairly easy to record them, but I think that I waited enough time that by the time I recorded my album, it was good. And I've been doing comedy for like six years. So I'm like, Hey, I don't, I don't really work any clubs right now, but, uh, this is what I've been up to. All right. Locally, there's a club in Lincoln, Nebraska. I've emceed at one. I've emceed it once a month for two years, and they've let me headline a Sunday show, and they're letting me headline another in March. How do I get them to see me as someone they would let feature for a regular weekend? Uh, I don't know exactly. I mean, it seems like if they're letting you host once a month and you're getting some headline shows, I feel like with that club, you're in a good spot. I feel like that you maybe the maybe the best way is to start featuring in other clubs and then let that club know that you've been featuring at other clubs. But it seems like at your local club, it seems like you got a good thing going. I mean, you're emceeing once a month and you're getting to headline occasionally. I think that's a good deal. I don't know that I would want to mess that up. Like at, at, at Zany's here in Nashville, I have a monthly show that I do, and I've often thought about trying to get them to let me headline a weekend. But then I think, you know what, if I headline a weekend, I mean, which would be amazing. I mean, I don't even know if they would let me do that. But if I headline a weekend, it, I wouldn't get to do my monthly show. And I, I like doing the monthly show. I like being able to be in front of, uh, you know, People in Nashville once a month. I mean, between the Opry and Zanies, I'm you know I'm getting to do a lot in Nashville, and I, I enjoy that. So I don't know, but if that is something that you're looking to do, I think the best way is to go outside of town and show. Hey, you don't even have to tell the club. You don't have to go. Hey, I'm doing this. But if you're posting on social media, hey, I'm featuring at this club this weekend. I'm featuring in this club this weekend. And then when you're hanging out, bring it up in conversation. Hey, I've been going to all these places featuring then they're going to know, and, and that, that would allow them to see you as more of a feature. All right, two more. I currently don't have a website, but I've been looking into getting one. Would a website help me look more legitimate in the eyes of bookers? That's hard to say because I think that the age of the website, I don't know what's happening with it, but I think a website, you definitely got to get one. 
uh, whether it looks good for the bookers or not, you got to get one. It's not that expensive. It's not that hard. I don't, I barely know anything about that kind of stuff. And I built a website using Wix. Uh, you know, I just spent one night really digging in there, uh, locked myself in a room and just got it done. And I think my website looks good. I make changes along the way. Uh, but I think it's a great hub for everything. You can put whatever videos you want from all type of different sources. You can hub them all into one website. You can have all your social media. You can have whatever information you want to put about yourself up there. I think you got to get one. And I think, yeah, I mean, if, if you email a booker, uh, I think another thing to do, if you email a booker, they're going to look look you up, chances are. And so if your videos, you know, if your if your most current video is two years ago, I think you got to take that video down and you got to add current videos. You got to keep yourself very current. Uh, you may not have to take it down, but make sure you have some current videos up. Um, all right. Here's the last question. Is there any other general advice you would give someone in my situation or are there questions I should be asking myself or a perspective I'm not thinking about that would help this process. I don't know. It sounds like you're on the right track. I mean, you're doing a lot of things. You're 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 emceeing quite a bit. You're featuring. You're headlining. Uh, you're asking questions. You're 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 seeking advice. I think that you're doing the right thing. I think um, you know. I think it's always important to think about content. Always think about what you're talking about. Are you saying things that would would get you, you know, because we're, you know, whether we agree with with people's perspectives or or not, uh, we're living in a sensitive time, and simply saying something that you think is a funny joke, but that offends someone, it could lead to you not getting a booking. Uh, and I don't know about your social media presence, but I know people that post or say things on social media that keeps them from getting bookings and they think it's fun and funny and and it is i mean people can do whatever they want but you know just i would just say in the quest for getting booked and for for being on stage and making fans and making friends you know i think now is a particular particular time to just kind of you know watch what you're saying and uh you know just be respectful of people and uh and um you know just keep keep pushing um, it says, sorry, this email has been so long. I had many questions, but I hope you had a good time reading it. I did have a good time reading it. Actually, when I pulled up your questions, I thought, wow, this is a lot of questions. But as I read through them, I thought these are all very good. Lots of good information for people. Um, I know this process isn't going to be instantaneous. And I know that while I think I'm ready, the powers that be might disagree, but I'm hoping this will help me gain a better understanding of where I am and should be in the comedy world. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, there's no clear time frame, so there's no way to know, all right, this is where I'm at at this point. I mean, you know, I mean, I've been doing comedy for 12 years now, at least going, I'm on my 12th year, right? And to some people that, that seems like a long time, but six of those years were spent in a city where there were no comedy clubs. So I didn't even do comedy clubs or consider comedy as even a full-time job for the first six years. I was just living in a wonderful city, drinking, partying, hanging out with my friends, going out, doing comedy, celebrating with drinks, and having a blast. But honestly, learning how to tell jokes, learning how to be funny, learning how to write things. So then when I quit drinking and really got focused on comedy, I was then like all set. And then I did that for two years, sober, still living in Charleston. And then I moved to Nashville and almost immediately started working the road. And that... Uh, is, you know, it's just, it, it, there's no time frame for anyone, you know, specifically. So enjoy yourself, have some fun. And this is what, you know, they will tell us at, at our club is, you know, you've, you know, especially the club that you feature at, or you host at once a month, they say, you got the gig, you're not going to get fired from the gig. So now write some new material. So while you're out there, just use that as an opportunity to be trying out new jokes and always be working on new stuff because 
Working on new stuff, not only does it build up the amount of material that you have, but chances are if you're improving your writing all the time, the new thing that you write will be better than the old thing. Even if you think the old thing is so good, how could anything ever be better than that? The new thing that you write will suddenly become the new joke that you love. And you're like, I can't wait to tell that joke. I can't believe I've been telling this other joke for so long when I have this new incredible joke. Uh, and I think that writing is so important. I don't do enough of it, but I also think it's sometimes hard to force the writing. It has to come out, for me at least, in an organic way, and I have to be really feeling the joke, and it's like I can't force it. But I've been telling a joke lately, and I love it. I told it last night at the Opry, and it, it just came out. I didn't even plan to tell it. It just came out, and I was like, oh, I'm doing this joke now. And But I was doing it because I'm excited about it, and I'm confident in it. So, all right. That's it. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in. My social media is at Dusty Slade. My website is DustySlade.com if you want to go check it out. Just to see, especially if you have no website design, go and look at mine and go, oh, okay, this guy did this. I can do that and probably better. So, all right. Thank you very much. We're having a good time and I'll see you in Michigan.